Welcome to From the Lapel, a B World Class podcast. This is not your ordinary podcast. There are no guests and no interviews. And it's not just me sat in a studio with a microphone and a script either. It's called From the Lapel for a reason. Recently, I bought myself a rather swish lapel mic to record the various keynotes and seminars and masterclasses that I deliver and then share them with you. I guess it's probably the closest we can get to actually transporting you into the room. Some of these keynotes and masterclasses span several hours, so I've selected the bits that I think will be most valuable to you. You'll often hear me asking questions of the audience. Feel free to press pause, take a moment and reflect on your own answers. Honestly, this is where you will get the greatest value. In episode four, I shared part of a growth mindset masterclass that I delivered to a scale-up bootcamp for entrepreneurs. Last time, we talked about the first step in a five-step process to develop mental toughness. This episode picks up where we left off, step two. Stage two is all about creating continual, consistent, optimal performance. To do that, we need to get our mental game right. Really quickly, this is how our mental game works. It works in two spirals. There's a positive spiral and a negative spiral. I'll start with the positive. For me, it all kicks off with focus. Bottom three, focus, confidence and motivation, for me are the foundation. These three things are interdependent, not independent. They live together, they fuel each other. And if we want to start somewhere, it makes real sense to start with focus, in my view. Because when we're focused on the right thing at the right time, we perform really well in that moment. When we can do that, moment after moment after moment, we build up this lovely bank of evidence. Remember earlier I said confidence is built on evidence? It's that evidence that we can perform well that allows us to feel confident. And for most people, we like doing stuff well, we like feeling confident, we like feeling like we're masters of what we do. So when we've got that, we wanna go and do it again and that gives us more motivation. And that starts this lovely upwardly mobile spiral, a spiral that feeds itself and perpetuates. When we've got those working as a foundation, then we can get some really nice other things. We start to really love our discomfort zone. We start to venture into our discomfort zone and appreciate it. The trouble is we're not likely to go into our discomfort zone if we haven't got focus, confidence and motivation as a foundation. If you think about it, if you weren't feeling very confident, would you go and seek an opportunity to fail, to make a mistake? Unlikely, most people don't. I speak to loads of leaders who say, how on earth do I get my people to to step into that discomfort zone? Are they confident in their performance? Not really. Will they seek an opportunity to fail then? Probably not, why? Because failure feels bad. They're not gonna do that if they're not feeling confident. Would they step into their discomfort zone if they weren't highly motivated? Because it's tough out there. Probably not, no. So if we want people to genuinely venture into their discomfort zone, we have to have focus, confidence and motivation as a foundation. Once we've got that, we're, we're likely to start releasing what I call our mental handbrake. In Britain, you could probably see it more as a mental emotional straitjacket. It's the thing that stops you from just getting up and dancing, even though you'd love to because you think, I've got two left feet, I'll look an idiot. Or just singing at the top of your lungs because you think, I can't sing a note, what will people think? They'll all laugh at me. That's your mental emotional straitjacket. If you ever want to perform at your best, 
If you want to get the most out of yourself, you have to release that handbrake. Most people operate well within themselves. They never get anywhere near their potential because the handbrake's tugged on and they're so petrified about what people might think if they got it wrong, if they look stupid, if they made a mistake. Well, if you want to achieve your best, you have to get that handbrake down to the floor. When we do that, we take a really different view on the word pressure. And we start to ask, what pressure? There really isn't any pressure. I've got uh, quite a unique view on pressure. In my view, we can only experience pressure in one way, through one mechanism, and that's our imagination. You can only experience pressure through your imagination. You can only imagine it. If you think about it, think about where pressure comes from, where that sensation, that, that uh, phenomena comes from. It usually happens when we tie ourselves emotionally to an outcome that's in the future. Now, because it's in the future, it's unknown. We don't know whether we're going to get it or not. It's not certain. And it's in the future and it's an outcome, so it's not under our control. What we end up doing is painting these two pictures of the future. The future you absolutely want and the future you desperately don't want. And you start tying yourself emotionally to it. I'll feel good if we get this one. I'll feel bad if we get that one. And they're uncertain and they're in the future. We could go a stage further. We could tie our self-worth to it. I'll think of myself as successful if we get that one. I'll think of myself as a failure if we get this one. That's now going to start to emerge as anxiety. We'll feel that. We could even go a stage further and tie our identity to it. I will believe I am a success if we get this one and I am a failure if we get that one. Now we're going to start to really feel the pressure. But it is imaginary. How do we know? Because it's in the future. The only way as a human being you can ever experience the future is through your imagination. You can only imagine the future. There's no other way to, to experience it. We've got three ways of experiencing life. Future, through your imagination. Past, through your memory. And the present, through your senses and thoughts. That's it. That's all we've got. That's the lot. So if it's in the future, it has to be our imagination. So if we don't want to experience the pressure, the very best way to do it, don't imagine it. You created it. Don't create it. So when we've got this as a, as a real foundation, now we start to take a real different view on pressure. Here is a negative spiral. It starts when we're not focused on the right thing at the right time. Maybe we're juggling too many balls. Maybe we haven't really sorted out our priorities. Maybe we're not actually focused on the thing that's right in front of us. Maybe we're trying to engineer the outcome and not execute the process. Lots of people get unstuck because they're trying to juggle too much stuff, spin too many plates, or they're trying to engineer an outcome. And they're not just focused on executing the thing that's right in front of them right now. If you're not focused on the right thing at the right time, you go and make a mistake. I reminded myself of this a little while ago when I was reversing the car and I was looking out of the wrong mirror. I wasn't focused on the right thing at the right time. What happened? I made a mistake. So when we make a mistake or we lose quality on what we're doing, most people start to get upset. They start to overanalyze. They start to beat themselves up. They start thinking too much, trying too hard and forcing things. They try and essentially engineer the outcomes and then they go and make a bigger mistake again. I see this in salespeople quite a lot who stop focusing on doing the right thing 
and try desperately to get the sale, to engineer the outcome. And because of that, the processes get worse and worse and worse and the outcome gets further away. And they make bigger mistake after bigger mistake after bigger mistake. Each time they beat themselves up more and more and more. And before they know it, confidence is disappearing and motivation's going with it. These are just two uh, sort of two images that I've just put on a, on, a, on a slide. These are just two diagrams. Does this actually make sense in your life experience? Have you actually experienced this going on? Have you seen it in yourself or in other people? Does it match up? Yeah? Cool. So if we want to get this right, where did those two things hinge? What was it that dictated whether we went up on the positive spiral or down the helter-skelter into the negative sp uh, spiral? Yeah, but what, which, was it confidence? Was it focus? Was it motivation? What's the point at which those two diverge? Focus. <laughs> Focusing on the right thing at the right time. If you don't take anything else from this session, take the next bit. Focus follows interest. An interest follows what you really care about. So your focus is dictated by your why. Why are you there? What's the purpose? What's the reason? Most people get unstuck because their why hinges on an outcome. It's focused on an outcome, embedded in an outcome. If we're there for the outcome, we're going to find it really difficult to focus on the processes. We have to be interested in the processes. We have to really care about doing the processes well in order to focus on them. As one of the Olympians said to me one day, you have to fall in love with the processes. Be really invested into the processes. Really interested and curious about them or else you're not going to focus on them properly. You'll get lost in the outcomes. And then you can pretty much guarantee you're going to disappear down that helter-skelter. So that is how we create that solid foundation. That's our step two. Here's step three. We need to take responsibility, genuinely take responsibility for our performance. Responsibility and control go absolutely hand in hand. If you don't take responsibility for it, you cannot take control. Very simply, if it's somebody else's fault, or something else's fault, you can't do anything about it. You haven't got control because you gave up control. And it's not until you take responsibility that you can actually take control. So when we ask questions, really great questions like, what did I do? How well did I do it? Then we can start taking control over it. I can remember when my two girls were quite little, we had some discussions, usually when they had had a bit of an argument or a fight, and the discussion tended to start with, she did this, well, she did that, well, she did this, well, she did that. And we had a little rule. Don't tell me what she did, tell me what you did. Well, well, she did that, no, 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 what did you do? Well, I did this. Okay, so you called her a name, yeah. Then, then what did you do? Well, I hit her, right? And then what did you do? Well, I pulled her hair, right? What would happen if you didn't call her a name? Well, that would never have started. What would happen if you didn't hit her? Well she wouldn't have pulled my hair. Right, so I'm not going to ask you to change what she did. You're responsible for what you do. So don't call her a name, don't pull her hair, don't hit her. Right, and then we won't get into this situation. Off you go. So take responsibility for what you did. Lots of people I have heard saying, can't do anything about it, it's Brexit. It's the economy, it's the coronavirus, it's the this, it's the that. F forget that. What did you do? How well did you do it? When I talk to athletes after performance, how good was your game plan? How well did you execute it? That's where we're going to start. So have a think for a minute. When do you 
genuinely take responsibility. Here's the thing about leadership. If you don't do it, they will not do it. Reason why many premiership football teams never take responsibility and control is because the manager stands in front of the cameras, the TV cameras, saying it was the ref's fault. Well, in that case, you can't do anything about it. Take responsibility, then you'll take control. So as a leader, when do you and when don't you? When do you blame the client, the supplier, the environment, the economy, whatever? And when do you actually genuinely take control? Have a think, have a chat, have a reflect for a couple of minutes. You can, uh, if you start trying to take accountability for outcomes, I would say that's, that's a step in the wrong direction, because you can't. You can't hold others accountable for outcomes either. Processes, yes, but outcomes, no. Couple of seconds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that bit you can. The other bit that most people uh, sort of don't don't quite get right about this is um, they judge, and and judging, blaming, etc., doesn't usually help. Understanding what we did well and what we can improve on, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Okay, pull this in then, let's, uh, let's say where we are on this. Okay, so, when do you, when don't you? What do you think? Which bits don't you take responsibility for? Things that aren't in your control, that's fine. They're probably things that you don't need to take responsibility for, but... Are there things that you probably could take responsibility for that you're not? What do they tend to be? Ah, there, here's a typical conversation with uh, leaders and managers. Uh, my people aren't doing what they need to do. Right, who hired them? Well, well I did. All right, uh, who, who's performance managing them? Well, I suppose me, but uh, okay. Uh, who retained them? Well, me. Who hasn't developed them? Well, me. Don't moan about your people then. Do those bits. And actually, if you do those bits really well, you hire great people, you retain the right ones, you invest in developing them, you're not going to be moaning about your people. Because actually, if they're not right and if they're not responding, you'd probably get rid of them and you'd hire somebody else and then you'd go again. So it's an absolute classic amongst leadership. It's my people. They're not very engaged. They don't care. How much have you shared the purpose, the why, of your business. Do they understand why what we do is really important, why it matters, why we need to do it well? And have you made sure that everybody cares about it? Well, no. I usually just tell them what. They're not going to be engaged then. Nobody's engaged by a what. Nobody's engaged by a task. If you just continually dish out tasks, you're not going to get engaged people. Oh, I would just hope that they would be. No. As a leader, that's absolutely your responsibility. So when we get it back to that level, we can start to take control, to truly take control. I'm going to share these couple of bits because we've only got a couple of minutes. Take these away. These are little exercises that you can do in your own time. If you ever want to step into your discomfort zone, I'm a big fan of taking a baby step first, then lengthening your stride to take a step, then take a stride, then start taking leaps. Not start by taking leaps. Normally that doesn't work for people. 
and start by taking a baby step. It could be, I need to go and raise a load of finance. I've never done that before. It could be, I need to go and recruit some senior people. I've never done that before. It could be, we're taking on the biggest contract we've ever taken on before. Or we've been given a contract to do something we've never done before. That could be the discomfort zone. Okay, start with a baby step. What would that look like? What would a step look like? What would a stride look like? What would a leap look like? You can do this with yourself. You can do it with your people. If you've got somebody that's not taking that, that step that they need to, to take, let's rewind it back. Let's start with a baby step. What would that look like? Just get going, get some momentum, then start lengthening your stride a little bit. And as you get more confident, you will, you will start to take larger and larger strides to the point where you are happy leaping. But it doesn't happen by magic. There's a process to it. Here's another one. You can start building your toughness in layers. In, I call it a staircase by presenting a staircase of challenges. Here's an example. This is how we built resilience as a characteristic into a sales team. Now this sales team primarily operated on the phone. They were primarily telesales type people. Right at the bottom of the staircase, it says make five or six calls in a row and fail to get through. And come back for the seventh call with no loss of enthusiasm. Can you do that? Honestly, some of the team couldn't do that. That's the first challenge. We're not going to worry about the rest of the staircase. Just nail that stair. Once you've got that stair, we'll give you a slightly tougher challenge. Could you get bounced by a gatekeeper five or six times in a row and make the seventh call with no loss of enthusiasm? As if you hadn't had the first six. Because if you pick up the call for the seventh call and you're kind of, oh, hi, can I speak to... You're not going to get anywhere. You have to come back in with no loss of enthusiasm. So if we were to record your first call, seventh call, 14th call, we would hear the same energy, the same intensity, the same enthusiasm, the same motivation as we did on the first one. Get rejected five or six times in quick succession and come back with no loss of enthusiasm. Have a deal that you've been working on for weeks and weeks and weeks fall over and then just come back in with no loss of enthusiasm. How about this top step? have two or three deals that you've been working on for weeks and weeks and weeks and pouring blood, sweat and tears into, fall over and bounce back with no loss of enthusiasm. That was, in their context, a resilient staircase for them. That was a way to get all of their sales team to become more resilient and to be able to be more enthusiastic more often, no matter what happens. This is your bounce back ability and your ability to operate in real adversity. You can create these for any characteristic. And again, you'll find one of these, which you, you could do a resilience uh, staircase, you could do a courage staircase, you could do a tenacity staircase, you could do a consistency staircase or a persistence or a whatever it is. You could do an honesty one, it doesn't matter. This is, this is just ways that you develop characteristics by giving yourself a staircase of challenges where the next challenge is a little bit tougher. And once you've nailed that one, you take on the next one, which is just a little bit tougher. The problem with character often is that people see it as an all or nothing. And they try and ask people to leap from bottom to top or they ask themselves to leap from bottom to top. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. But if we can give somebody a step that's just beyond where they are at the moment, a challenge, then they, they're likely to take that step. And if we can give them another one after that, they might well take that step as well. It doesn't mean that everybody gets all the way to the top all of the time, but, but most people do move and, and a lot of people move quite a long way.
given that kind of stimulus. So, here's the now what. I've been nattering, you've been thinking for the last hour, what are you going to do with this stuff? I'm a huge believer that if you walked away from this session saying it was interesting and enjoyable, we've achieved basically nothing. If you walk away and you know what you're going to do with it, you can apply it, then you gain the value from it. So, what are you going to do with this stuff? How is this going to make a difference to your business? How is this going to help you to develop a real growth mindset in yourself and your people and really drive the performance of your business? Enable you to take on those challenges. Lots of people ask me, because I, I work with lots of world-class performers, they'll say, what's the difference? What's the one thing that separates world-class performers from everybody else? The myth is that there's this kind of magical treasure trove that they came across that has uh, some knowledge or some ideas or whatever that, that nobody else has got access to. That's the myth. The truth is they know pretty much the same stuff we do. The difference is they do it and they do it consistently. So on that basis, I'll say thank you very much. Who knows where we'll be next time or what the subject will be. But if you found these first episodes valuable, please share them so that other people can If you liked this podcast, you will love Be World Class TV. It's your regular dose of insight and inspiration from truly world-class performers. The very first session on mental toughness is open as a free preview. If you'd like to watch it, check out www.beworldclass.tv. That's www.beworldclass.tv. And follow the Start Now button at the foot of the page. See you there.